Welcome to Broadway World's Some Like It Pop Podcast. I am Matt Timonini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and uh, long-lost friend, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, long time no talk. I know, it's been a delightful. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, you can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at Matt. that's B-W-W-M-A-T-T. You can read us both across various Broadway World sites, and you can now follow Some Like It Pop on Twitter at SLIP Podcast. Remember to tweet us what you think Jen and I uh, should talk about on episodes. We uh, got a couple of good suggestions for this week, and so we'll, we'll dive into some of those. Not only can you find all episodes of Some Like It Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also get new episodes downloaded automatically via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So, if you don't hate us, rate and review our show wherever you get the podcast. So Jen and I have something tangible to fill the hole where our hearts normally would be. On this episode, we are taking a look at the TV shows that are keeping us entertained this summer. We are also going to do a mini episode about a handful of summer movies that we've seen and or are looking forward to seeing. But before we get into those, Jen, how have you been? We chat a couple times a week on on Google Chat and text, but it's been almost a month since we've done an episode of Some Like It Pops, so... Before we get started, I just want to check in, make sure we're centered and, and everything's good. Are you good? I, I'm i good. I've been going to the gym, so that's that's new for Jen. Who's and- Jim? <laughs> You're fine. Yeah. That's why we don't talk. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a good summer. I'm anxious for it to get over because I hate the summer. I hate the heat. Yeah, but in the, in the places where you and I live, summer can be a bit... Um, brutal. Brutal, <laughs> daunting... Um, engrossing and sweat inducing but you know it's the it's what it's the price we pay for having the winners not suck yes that's true and normally i hate the summers because there's nothing to watch but that is not true this summer exactly for you know for the most part of popular culture history during the summer months tv has been relegated to the background of public consciousness with just lame competition shows and reruns reruns aren't really a thing anymore um normally the only pop culture stuff you get to talk about during the summer is big splashy summer blockbuster movies however since jen and i tend to be more tv people first we wanted to highlight some of our favorite shows that are now airing during the summer thanks in part to this peak tv environment that we are in now jen I know a month or so ago, you were just a tad bit annoyed with the home box office network for canceling their 70s, 80s era rock and roll drama vinyl, even though it had, even though it had already been renewed, they canceled it anyway. Many critics felt that this was indicative of HBO's, you know, rather precipitous fall from the top of the television drama landscape. They had a change in leadership at HBO drama, but It felt like when the first episode of their new eight-part drama, The Night Of, came out, it was was released online first before it aired, that seemed to dominate the television conversation, and it felt felt like something that HBO very much needed. Before I even saw the pilot, uh, Jen, you told me that it was really good and you really wanted to talk about it. So do you want to explain to folks what the show is about, especially since it kind of hits every one of your characteristics of pop culture things that you enjoy. <laughs> it's also very, um, it's a, it's good timing for the show because there's a lot of issues for yeah. everything that's going on. Um, basically the entire 
first episode is exposition. <laughs> like it's it's really setting up the entire series, but it's a very slow build and yeah. the, and the first episode really ends where the story begins. So basically it is a, a Pakistani American. He's about 23 years old and he decides he wants to go out for the night for his friend with his friends, decides to take his dad's cab. Um doesn't know how to turn on the off-duty light, which is a thing in New York City. If there's an off-duty light on, you can't hail that cab. And uh, a girl pops in. They wind up hanging out, spending some time together, hooking up. When he wakes up, she's brutally murdered. And he makes all the wrong decisions with the evidence and the crime scene and winds up being arrested for her murder. And that's the setup for the series. And I'm very, very much simplifying it. There are so many little intricacies and plot uh, twists that go into it and there's people who see him that could be suspects that could be you know involved somehow um and just from the first episode the way they had set it up and even the tone and the shots and the way they shot queens at night you know i'm an east coast girl and um yeah. i just got really sucked in especially and i know you had a problem with it but i i think that they did need to establish you know the just inherent prejudice people have against muslims without them even doing a thing and that's coming not just from white people. That's coming from every background, race, country, county, or creed. <laughs> yeah. And this poor kid, um, he was, he's been rendered guilty before he's even arrested. So that's kind of where the series starts. And I also want to mention that in the, towards the end of the series, this quirky character played by John Turturro shows up and he's kind of known oh. around the... Hold on, Jen. Not not the end of the series. At the end of the first episode. Did I say series? I meant yeah. episode. Yeah. 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 Uh, this lawyer shows up and decides just on a whim that this kid probably has no representation and doesn't know what's happening, and he decides to represent him. Um, I believe this role was originally intended for James Gandolfini. Oh, I didn't know that. And John Turturro took the role, and he he plays this. It's just nice to see John Turturro again. I miss that guy. And uh, he plays a kind of a quirky guy, and he's representing these, these this poor Pakistani family. And um, I think he'll add a lot to the series as it goes on. Yeah, and you mentioned some things that I had issues with. But I want to start off, like you said, the tone and the feel of this show is phenomenal. And I want to preface my future comments by saying that I've only watched the first two episodes. That is, by the time this episode comes out, those will be the only two that have aired. I Knowing that Jen hadn't had had a chance to watch ahead, I held myself back from binge-watching. So, Jen, have you just seen the, that extended pilot, or did you see episode two yet? I've seen one and two. Okay, so we're at the same spot. Okay, yes. so that's saying something that I was very into it, that I wanted to keep going, but I didn't. But I, despite my excitement, it, because this the show is so elegantly tense and suspenseful without being cheesy about the 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 cliffhangers and the the twist and the clues but that being said i think the structure and the execution in terms of the plotting is a bit clunky and that's when you mentioned my hesitation about the the overt racism comes into play the first 30 minutes before this grisly murder happens are really cliche to me and it happens throughout as well but that that overt racism that you mentioned it's 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 a it's a young black man who um kind of throws some islamophobic slurs at uh, at Nas our main character and then there's 
the really cliche thing of them playing a drinking game with a knife. I mean, obviously, I understand why these things are included to set up future plot points, but it was a little much for me. I mean, unless these are the most cynically placed red herrings in the history of television drama, anyone who knows anything about, you know, Chekhov's gun can see where we're going in terms of witnesses lying to the police and chain of custody being broken with evidence and other stuff like that. So I think what they do really, really well is create this world in which these characters exist. I think, I think the, the execution of the storytelling and the plotting leaves a little to be, de- de- little to be desired in these first two episodes, but we'll see how it plays out. It could be all a very elegant, you know, way to throw people off the track. It, it just seems like early on they are like trying to, slap you in the face with a cold dead fish in terms of what's going to be important as this trial, the eventual trial of Nas for murder actually unfolds. I thought that was actually really a cool thing that they did. Um, Zooming in on certain random, seemingly randomly people like the guy at the gas station who just appeared out of nowhere and they were making eye contact. It could be nothing. It could be very relevant. I love stuff like that. So, the two characters, one Bodhi from the wire shout out um, outside his building. And then when he came back, he was, he said, he's alone, but he wasn't. And I love all those little clues because I'm all about that kind of thing. And unfortunately, I think that there are people that just do not understand the kind of daily racism these people go through. And I think it was necessary to include that. Well, and I don't, I have no problem with them including those clues. And I think the racism is an integral part of this storytelling. It's not what it, what happened. It's how it happened. I, I just, I didn't think it was done well. I thought it was so out of the world they were creating that it stuck out like a sore thumb. Like it just wasn't, I didn't feel like it was executed well. I think the inclusion of it is vitally important to what they're doing and what story they're telling. I just wasn't a fan of what they were doing. But like I said, I'm to a certain extent, I'm nitpicking because I really enjoyed the final product as a whole. And probably before this episode even comes out, I will have been binge watched everything up until the season finale, which HBO has not put on its press site yet. So I'll probably watch everything else by then. So that tells you that despite these things that I'm a little uncomfortable with, I really enjoy it. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. And I just ran out of time or I would have yeah. watched them all in one sitting. <laughs> so I think we'll both have them done before this episode airs. Yeah. And there are some other you know interesting people that pop up. You mentioned John Turturro, which I want to get back to this really random point in a second. Nick Turturro also pops up. Mm-hmm. No relation, I don't believe. Then you have Max Casella appears later in the season, who was Dookie Hauser's best friend on Dookie Hauser. I've also seen him on Broadway twice. He played uh he played Timon in The Lion King and he was on Boardwalk Empire. Chip Zine, the baker from the original cast of Into the Woods. Um, and he was in falsetto. So there's a lot of really interesting people that pop up in addition to the ones that you mentioned. But Jen, what's really interesting is, and Bill Camp plays the detective, Dennis Box, who's, um, he's a, a theater, a, a well-known theater actor as well. But other than- And also Michael K. Williams, we would be remiss without mentioning Omar Little. Oh, right. I was not a wire, <laughs> I was not a wire guy. So, uh, I've never actually seen an episode of The Wire, but we'll get into that later. But yeah, but, but it's, it's interesting because, 
if if John Turturro is the biggest star in your show on HBO, that's kind of rare because a lot of these other people, I didn't recognize any of them. Like you would have thought maybe uh, Andrea, who was the, the, the young woman who obviously be, from the moment we see her, she's a little disturbed. You would have thought that could have been a fun, um, you know, flashy Emmy, you know, Selena Gomez pot. yeah, something where you could have had a star. I've never seen that woman before and she was really good and just, you know, in a half an hour of work, she maybe could have got an Emmy guest starring, you know, nomination out of it, but it was just somebody who Sophia Black Dialia, uh, or, yeah, whatever her name is, Sophia Black Dialia. Never heard of her, but she was really good. Well, even Nas, I've never seen him before, and he's, I guess, a rapper in the UK. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Now, this is going to sound, he is apparently in Rogue One and Jason uh, Bourne. I, I did see that. Um, Okay, so this is going to to sound very odd. When I first saw him, I'm going to get this guy's name right. Okay, this is going to sound odd because when I first saw him, I knew it wasn't this actor because I he was too young to be this actor. But I thought he bore an uncanny resemblance to somebody. Did you think he looked like anybody else? No. I really thought he looked got like uh, Gael Garcia Bernal. Really? I did. I when I first saw that I was like, whoa, no, too young, but it looks like him. Obviously, you know, Gael Garcia is Mexican. I'm not sure he's Mexican and this guy is 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 Middle Eastern of some sort. So it's not, you know He's British. It, he's Yeah, but I mean in terms of heritage, you so they don't actually have the same ethnic background, but I oh. thought they bore a stunning resemblance to each other, at least at first. But Anyway, back to my real quick weird thing. One of my, one of my, the most memorable roles that I've ever seen John Turturro in was an awful, awful, awful Adam Sandler movie called Mr. Deeds. And <laughs> the butler. Yeah. And every time I see John Turturro, all I want to say is I am very, very sneaky. That's all. That's <laughs> every time I see him, that comes into my head. I'm sure he's thrilled. I'm sure because he's done nothing else in his career other than a terrible Adam Sandler movie. Uh, also, oh, well. uh, for the record, he and Nick are brothers. They are brothers. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought this whole time they were not. They were not yeah. related. All right. I just, well, I just looked it up to verify it. Thank you, because after the whole uh, Christian Slater and Helen Slater thing, I don't believe you anymore. But uh, to be fair, they were brother and sister in the Legend of Billie Jean, which is why that rumor got started. Right, because people who play siblings in movies are always siblings in real life. And in the 80s, when you don't have the internet, you believe <laughs> that stuff. So that's, true. that's what right. it is. <laughs> yeah, you are right. Okay, so beyond the night of, which kind of dominated uh, pop culture television conversation for about a week, that kind of segued into the season two premiere of a little show called Mr. Robot. Jen, you and I have talked about this show quite a bit on... Uh, on, in this, this first year, 10 months of Some Like It Pop. Um, we both really thoroughly enjoyed the first season. I had a little issues with, in the moment, that it was kind of slow in the middle of the first season, only to realize in retrospect that that was doing an incredible job setting the stage for what happened in the back half of season one. It's really tough for dramas to maintain the energy and the excitement and the intrigue that they have in their first season when they transition to a second season after they've had such a critical and popular um, consensus of support. Uh, 
they did air their first uh it was a it was a two hour hour and a half uh, season premiere earlier this week we're recording on saturday july 16th jen have you watched this season premiere yet huh, yeah i've okay. watched it three times okay well good i watched it for the first time this morning because i've been out uh, uh i was at shows late uh late at night this week so i haven't had a chance to watch it until this morning so i haven't had time to digest it yet although i did watch hacking robot which is the after show talk show which we can talk about in a second because i i think these things are ridiculous but anyway at the end of season one elliot played by the fantastic uh remy malik decides to go through with the f society hack that will essentially wipe away the debt of every credit card holder in the country and we see that happen again at the beginning of season two and then it kind of fast forwards an indeterminate amount of time. I don't think they ever say how long into the future we are, but it doesn't, it's not too long, but Elliot is now trying to live his life off the grid so that he can keep Christian Slater's Mr. Robot, which is part his father, part his own subversive subconscious. He can keep that side of him at, at bay. F society has kind of moved on. E Corp, Evil Corp is trying to rebuild itself, and all these other characters are are kind of trying to pick up the pieces. Jen, what did you think of this first episode? I know you watched it three times. Does that mean it was so good you wanted to watch it more, or you wanted to try to decide if it was worth continuing? <laughs> it was I awesome. Know. That's yeah. no question. I know. Um, yeah, I just needed to get some clarification on some things that happened. So I went back and watched it. And then I watched it again because it was so good. For the record, I did not watch Hacking Robot. So if they discussed any of these things, I want you to know that I came up with these things on my own. And I did not rip someone off. I'll be honest with you. They said very little of substance on Hacking Robot. Okay. And it was it was hosted by somebody that I really like, Andy Greenwald. And about the only cool thing they talked about was some Easter eggs from season one and season two. Um, like the best one was Christian Slater was really proud of this. You know, the party that F society has in the smart house of Mm -hmm. the, he is the person in the crowd wearing the F society mask. So that's cool. Yeah. So that's fun. But other than that, there was very little of of consequence said, especially because Sam Esmail, the show's creator, writer, and now the person directing every episode of season two, he was there and he is notoriously, uh, tight lipped on spoilers. So anyway, you're not going to get anything. No one's going to think you stole anything from that show because nothing of consequence was said. Okay. Well, first I want to say that I would watch an entire show and I think it needs to be a web series of the actor named Joey Badass talking about Seinfeld. That Dude. needs to happen immediately. Speaking of another rapper turned actor, this is the first acting job he's ever had. He's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a little part. He's a rapper who turns out to be um, Leon. It's Elliot's neighbor that he basically goes to eat every meal with. And he just talks about Seinfeld. He just discovered Seinfeld. And Elliot enjoys it because that means he doesn't have to talk. And this Joey Badass, who is a rapper, just kind of sits there and talks the whole time. And he's just flabbergasted that every episode is about nothing. And he just recaps an episode and says, but it's like about nothing. I love it. I want to see more of it. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have the fortune of living with a coder. <laughs> yeah. So I watched it with him this morning and he explained to me the Elliot pattern as it relates to coding. I didn't know if that would be something you were interested in. Yeah, that sounds awesome. 
So in coding, there's this thing they call a do-while loop, which means that you do something while a variable still exists. And as soon as the variable is null, you stop doing it. Hmm. However, if the variable does not stop existing, it creates an error, which is what Elliot is doing with his routine. Wow, that's really fascinating because he's going through and like you would, I assume, as a as a coder or a tech person, he's documenting everything in his life to make sure that he knows what's going on. That's very interesting. I know. It blew my mind. So because the variable, which would happen to be, you know, Christian Slater, his alter ego or whatever he is, is not going away, it's creating this error, which is why all these other things are happening. Now I'm starting to wonder if Craig Robinson and even Tyrrell are also manifestations in his mind. Oh, I could see Craig Robinson because he's a character, his character just kind of like as Ray shows up at the um, at the park while he's watching basketball. He's got a dog. He doesn't seem to interact with anybody else. But I can't think Tyrell as a part of his imagination, at least not completely, because he had a job at Ecor. I mean, he he had a life. He had a, you know, he's got a wife. And I don't, I can't imagine that he would have had, Elliot would have been able to live both lives working for Ecor and Allsafe. Um, but maybe pushing the button and then going on the run, maybe that could be, some sort of manifestation. That's really interesting. All right. I, I like that. I really just think this is the jumping off point for discovering like just how deep his, his mental problems are. Yeah. And, um, I really want Tyrell to come back because I think he's a fantastic actor and a villain, but yes. can we talk about his wife for a sec? Dude, I, I, I personally, <laughs> I personally thought for those middle, like I said earlier, those middle episodes of season one where it was kind of slow and we, we weren't really getting a whole lot of character development with our main group. I thought Tyrell Wellick and his wife Joanne or Joanna were the best part of the series. So yes, let's talk about her. Okay, so Sheila Cray, and yes. so she hires this uh, guy to I don't know discipline her to be kind, <laughs> and wants nothing to do with him afterwards. I was cracking up when he was just like, "You want to like go see my friend's band?" She's like, "Can you <laughs> go now?" Um, so I'm I'm happy that she's back, and. I really want to see what her purpose is because it seemed like in season one, she was almost like a Lady Macbeth. I was thinking the same thing. Yes. (laughs) So I want to see what her actual purpose is. Is, I mean, I want her around because she's fascinating and she has fascinating scenes and everything, but I want to know what the story, the, the purpose is for her to be there. Yeah. No, I think she's very, very good. And uh, she's a lot of fun. And obviously the fact that we we focused a considerable amount of time on her and Tyrell was not to be seen at all in the episode, I think that shows that she's got some some interesting stuff going on. And then the last thing I wanted to say that was a really amazing scene to me was the entire first part of, of part two, which is where uh, F Society demands a ransom and they yes. want $5.2 million and they want it. 5.9. Five point. It, this is important. It's five point nine because it is the the hack happened on May 9th. so it's being called the five nine event. So it was five point nine million dollars. And something they pointed out on uh, hacking robot when we go to the cemetery in season one and see uh, Elliot's dad's headstone. Elliot's dad's birthday was May 9th. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so. Our our fearless Brian Stokes Mitchell is the one that has to take uh, has to take the money, and then right before 
he makes the drop-off, so to speak. He receives a messenger bag in which he's told to put the mask on, which is an F-Society mask, and burn the money. So now he's in the middle of New York City. I don't think it's Central Park. It didn't look like Central Park. No, they said it was a different park. They said what park it was. And he has to put the mask on and literally light all that money on fire. Now, in New York, you see that and you're like, oh, a performance arts piece. Let's let's film it. Let's Snapchat it. Um, so nobody really does anything, which was disturbing. I was saying to my roommate that if it was, if it was filmed this weekend, there would be people playing Pokemon walking right through it and not noticing it. <laughs> well, so, there, were, there were some people videotaping it. They showed people yeah, in the crowd definitely. videotaping it. Yeah, definitely. They were it. videotaping it. But no one was like, uh, why is he burning the money? Like, can we grab some of that? Or nothing. Yeah. But – what I loved about it was the music. <laughs> it He shows up and there's this this cheesy Phil Collins song from the 80s called Take Me Home off the album No Jacket Required. And it's just in the background and all it just the volume increases throughout the entire scene. And then all of a sudden it's just enveloping the scene. And it's just this song where you're like, that has no business being in the scene. And for some reason it makes it perfect. And yeah. they do that. They do stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Well, first off, your referencing of the Phil Collins album is very much a Patrick Bateman moment. Uh, <laughs> so, so thank you for that. But you're right. They do great things with music going back to season one where they had, they played, um, a version of the, the Pixies song that was kind of the theme music for Fight Club. They played that to end an episode in season one, which I thought was really cool. Here's something, Jen, that I, I found interesting that maybe might play into, our unreliable narrator issue in season one, anytime anybody, and I mean, anybody referenced E Corp, they referenced it as evil Corp this year. No one did. So obviously in season one, it's being told through Elliot's prism and he considers it to be evil Corp. So everybody, even the people who work there called it evil Corp. Now, Maybe it's because he's trying to get out of that part of his life and he's trying to become a more normal, um, civilized, you know, member of society. Everybody in the show is now calling it E-Corp, which I think is fascinating and just a little tiny bit of attention to detail. And that's something they did talk about on Hacking Robot was how specific they get on things and how specific Sam Esmail, the creator, is about the details. So that's something that I think is something that will be interesting to watch as this season develops. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think that they um, they had a stellar premiere, so it's only going to get more interesting. Yeah, and we didn't even mention the fact that Grace Gummer is now on the show. Right. And, and Asif Manvi is going to be on the show later this season. And poor Michael Gill, uh, who played Gideon, the CEO of All Save, getting martyred. Ooh, that was rough. That was brutal. And, and Gloria Rubin's back. So, I mean, it's, and we haven't even seen BD Wong yet, who I have a feeling is going to be a big part of this season because of what she is. His character is a transgender woman, so if I'm mixing pronouns, it's because I might be referring to the actor or the character. But B.D. Wong's character has some sort of relationship or partnership with uh, Philip Price, the CEO of E-Corp. So I'm sure that we're going to get B.D. Wong back again. So it's just a show that's setting up some really, really cool stuff. And one more hacking robot um Easter egg for you. Do you remember in the scene where Grace Gummer is getting her sandwich and her coffee – a person behind her gets mad at her and tells her to to hurry up. Do you remember that? Yeah. That person behind her is apparently somebody, and I don't know his name, but he is one of the founders of Anonymous. 
So apparently, oh. yeah. But yeah, so they, they got him to do a, a cameo in a TV show that is essentially about something that is pretty near and dear to Anonymous's heart. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I also wanted, I, last summer I saw um, Spamalot at the Hollywood Bowl and it starred Craig Robinson as King right. Arthur and Christian Slater was in it as well. Oh, yeah. My roommate and I were saying, do you think they just got to be good friends? And Christian Slater was like, you should be a Mr. Robot. Because <laughs> that <would laughs> be that's awesome. how Hollywood works. Well, I, I've heard a lot of people describe the Hollywood Bowl musicals, and they're doing a chorus line this summer. They call them community theater for Hollywood because it's basically just a bunch of Hollywood A-listers or B-listers uh, or just kind of go out and they do a show for a week. And it's just kind of like something fun for them to do. But anyway, okay, so – we are thumbs up all over the place for Night Of and thumbs up for Mr. Robot. That brings us to a show that I'm really interested in. We have not talked about it, um, but I think we both come at it with high expectations for very different reasons. And that is the new Cinemax show, Outcast. It is based on a comic book of the same name by Robert Kirkman, who is the creator of both the comic book and the television series that, Jen, I think you've heard of called The Walking Dead. The difference between The Walking Dead and Outcast is The Walking Dead was a comic book series before the TV show. Outcast is made in conjunction with the TV show. They come out a little bit before the episode started, but only by a couple months. So when this TV show was greenlit, the comic books did not exist. So I have read the first 12 issues of the comic books uh, before I saw the first episode of the TV show. And so that kind of colors my interest, but I'm interested to see how much you've watched of this and what do you think, considering we know that you're a big fan of Kirkman's other shows? Well, my, um, I know nothing about the comic book. I watched it because of Kirkman and because of Patrick Fugit. Mm -hmm. And my prediction is that you love the comic books and don't like the TV show, whereas I love the TV show. And I've seen all the way up until, I haven't seen last night's episode yet. Yeah, I, I've seen uh, – was that episode five or episode four? Episode six. Oh, okay. I think I've just seen the first four episodes then maybe. Okay, so do, so you so you love it then? I do love it. And I'm, I'm usually not a fan – I always say I'm not a fan of horror, but I watch so many horror shows. Um, <laughs> but I, I – yeah, I really do like it. I love Patrick Fugit and I love – is it Fugit or Fugit? Does it matter? Uh, no. It I, love he, Pat, I love Patrick. <laughs> he, he's not listening. What the hell does he care? <laughs> I love him, and um, I think that he he plays Kyle really really well, and um, it's just interesting. You know, there's a lot of you know horror genres going on. There's a big zomb. You know, I feel like they go through phases. You know, like vampires were all the rage for a while, and then it was zombies, and it's it's just interesting to see something about demonic possession because it's just a fascinating subject, and I I really enjoy it. Yeah, um... not demonic possession. The TV show, <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah, no, you you get yourself into binds like that a lot. You're like, too. Oh. I'm terrible with that. Yeah, um, your your characterization about whether what I like and what I don't like is actually not accurate. I am B to B plushes on both the TV show and the comic book. The reason being is is that the comic book is pretty much the TV show. There's not a whole lot of difference. It's not like The Walking Dead where it's no similar but intertwining. No, no it's, okay. it's it's it's. I have not seen much substantial differences at all yet. There's a little more play with um, 
uh, his stepsister or his adopted sister's background of, of being abused. I haven't seen that yet in the comic books. And of course they had to bring in QB one to do that, which makes me uncomfortable, <laughs> but um, no, but I like both of them. I'm not, uh, I'm not jumping up and down doing cartwheels about how excited I am about it, but it's a show that I enjoy because I think the performances are great. And what about Brent Spiner as, oh, I don't know if he, oh he's good. the devil or whatever the hell he is, but he's, it's Data uh, or or John Adams from the 1776 revival, if you want. But, I mean, he's really good. All the characters are great. I really enjoy um, – you talked about Patrick Fugit, Fugit as Kyle Barnes. His um, – I, I guess – I think she, he's an adopted sister – is is played by Ren Schmidt. And I think she's really, really interesting and really, really good. And this last episode that I saw was episode four where he starts to realize that even if they, him and Reverend Anderson, who is this kind of, I don't know, maverick reverend who goes around, you know, doing exorcisms and he knows that Kyle has some sort of skill and talent and ability to drive demons out of people. They start to realize that even if that happens, that they don't necessarily always leave. And we know that Kyle was accused of abusing his daughter. But what we really think is that she or her mother were actually possessed. And he starts to realize that, oh, I might have cured her then, but it might not be the end of it. So I, I enjoy it. I, I think the show is really interesting. It's, it's a little plotting, which is what I think a lot of people like about The Walking Dead, is that it's very much about character development. And I think I would have enjoyed it more had I not read the comics because I wouldn't have kind of known where things were going, if that makes sense. Like, if I didn't know mm-hmm. the characters already and I could have got invested in seeing who they were, I think I would have liked it more. But I do enjoy it. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Okay. So there's one. Here's a show. The next show we want to talk about <laughs> is one that I don't enjoy because I've never watched it. And I didn't watch it because I knew there was no way in hell that I would like it. Um, because it would make me very uncomfortable and yeah, I just knew I wouldn't like it. And this is a, <laughs> a dark comedy about a reality show. And that is, is it on Lifetime? Yep. Lifetime's unreal. Jen, I know you enjoy it and many, many other people do as well. I love it. <laughs> um, I have no interest in reality in general, but reality television, especially, um, but this is a behind the scenes look at how the bachelor is made. Of course it's fictionalized and it's a, you know, like you said, a dark comedy, but it's about the producers and what they go through to get these moments on television. And it's pretty sinister, like, (laughs) um, getting someone to cry, bringing up, you know, their fiance who was killed and then just rolling. And it's really dark, but it's so well done. And it's just a good old fashioned drama with soap opera tendencies and, just filthy and I just love it. <laughs> and I'm so happy that the, they just uh, gave Constance Zimmer an Emmy nod because yes. she's so good and she's just been so good for so many years and I'm just thrilled that she's getting recognition. But um, it stars Cherie Appleby, which, you know, a lot of people know from um, Roswell back in mm-hmm. the day. Uh, she was on Girls. She was in that show, Life Unexpected. She's always been around. You know her face. But this is a really different role for her, and it's really nice to see her kind of stretching the bounds. And has that Craig Bierko? Yeah. Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Craig Bierko. He was on the TV show Boston Legal, but he was also 
Um, he's a Broadway guy. He played uh, Sky Masterson on Broadway. Um, I believe he also was in uh, a music. Was he in the Music Man? But the Music Man. And I yeah. also I saw him in that big, uh, huge concert of company that starred Neil Patrick Harris and Stephen Colbert and Martha Plimpton and Christina Hendricks and Patti Lapone, and he was in that uh, as well. So yeah, good theater guy. Yeah, it's just it's just a fun show and it really tests it it makes you see like how much people test the limits just to get it get get good ratings. You know, it it's kind of exploiting the whole like Hollywood has no soul thing and this is just the personification of that. So, I enjoy it. It's very very addicting. Everyone who I've told to watch it, they're like, "Thanks, I haven't slept in 2 days." <laughs> so, you are correct. It is not for you. It, you are just not the demo no. for this, but um, I'm really happy that it's getting some recognition. Yeah, and it, it, it's a show that I am very happy is getting acknowledgement because I think the people in it are great, and I love the concept of it, but I know it would just creep me out, and the people are obviously not good people, which I don't normally, no, they're yeah, vile. Which I don't normally enjoy watching in comedies. I don't mind watching it in dramas for some reason, so that's a little odd, but... Um, but yeah, so and it is more it is more drama than comedy. Like there are very few comedic moments, but uh, it's really addicting. Okay. All right. So if you if if you, do you, okay, let me ask you this: Do you think that people that enjoy The Bachelor will enjoy this, or do you think that they will feel like they are being made fun of for enjoying the actual product that this show is uh, lampooning? Uh, I think it could go either way. I think there's definitely a population for both of those cases. You know, I know that there's people who claim they watch The Bachelor for parody (laughs) and like, oh, I just watch it because it's ridiculous. No, you don't. You don't. So um, I I don't know. I think it's interesting just to look at it from behind the scenes, you know, that it's not destiny and it's not romance. And they shoot scenes four times to get it right, even though it's quote unquote reality. And um, so I don't know. That's an interesting, I mean, I don't, you know, try to stay friends with people who watch The Bachelor on a regular <laughs> basis, so I don't really have anyone to ask. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So the next show that we want to talk about is one that I really had no intention of watching, Jen, until you said that you enjoyed it. You said that you didn't think I, you weren't a hundred percent sure that I would. I didn't love it. I kind of liked it. And that is TNT's Animal Kingdom, which ironically has nothing to do with animals. Um, it, it, or it does or Well, maybe. They are not exactly good people. Uh, it is basically, basically uh, follows a family of thieves, of robbers, and the really bizarre relationships that they have with each other. Apparently, <laughs> as you, you told me, it was based on an Australian movie of the same name in 2010 that had a, a number of people that we've come to know since then. Um, I think it was Jackie Weaver from who was in um, uh, Silver Linings Playbook. She was nominated for an Oscar, I think. Ben Mendelsohn. She was nominated for an Oscar for Animal Kingdom as oh, well. Was she? Okay, good. So she was in it. Ben Mendelsohn from the first season of Bloodline. Guy Pierce um, was in it as well. So Joel Edgerton. Yeah, I don't know. I know the name, but who is that? Uh, what would you know him from? Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I'm sure that's what you know him Probably from. Probably not. He was just in Black Mass. Yeah. I didn't see that. Oh, and he was in The Great Gatsby. Okay. Who did he play in The Great Gatsby? 
Um, oh, he played Tom. Yeah, he played Tom in, yeah, Tom. in, uh, in The Great Gatsby. Okay. So, and he also played in the, in the Star Wars movie, he played Owen Lars. I have no idea who the hell that is. So, but. It was, um, Uncle Owen that they gave oh, the Oh, right, right, right. Okay, good. So it, it stars Ellen Barkin as the, the matriarch of this family. And she is delightful. Absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> And I swear that she wants to have sex with every member of her family. Um, to be fair, is... have you seen the members of her family? To be fair, they are members of her family. Oh. With the exception with the exception of her adopted son, Baz. Everyone else is her blood. Mm-hmm. That either they they emerged from her womb or they emerged from someone who emerged from her womb. I'm just saying. Um it's it's a little weird. So I like this show. It's really good for me to watch in the background while I'm doing something else. You really oh, like I this love show. it so much. I'm su- I'm such a sucker for heists. Like I just I could watch anything about a heist, um the Italian job, like anything like Ocean's 11, I'm just in. Add five shirtless surfer dudes like including one who used to be on Felicity, I'm done. <laughs> I'm just done. And the best part of it is is that they're all tiny little boys when she comes into the room. She completely controls them. Um, and that's why I think it's, you know, Animal Kingdom. She holds them in a cage. And then when she releases them, they they create havoc. So it's all these, she's surrounded by all these alpha males and they just cower to her. And I just love that. I love that. And it is creepy. You're not lying. <laughs> she has very creepy relationships with them. But it, I just find it fascinating. I think it gets better every week. I'm so excited for this week. It, I, I actually, I wrote down as I was watching it, it's like a combination of Sons of Anarchy, Ocean's Eleven, and Oedipus. <laughs> that's, that, that, if you put those three things in a blender, th- that's what you've got. I really enjoyed our heist scenes. Like this thing they did early in the season where they got a bunch of tweakers and mm, locked mm-hmm. them in a van for like a day or two and they just got the van contaminated with all of their DNA and then they used that to ram into a jewelry store. Like that was really interesting. Like I hadn't thought of that before. Um, but it is, it is super creepy. It makes me very uncomfortable. Um, lots of incestuous innuendo and not even really innuendo. Like they walk around naked mm-hmm. and like she wants them to mm-hmm. change in front of her. She, they hug each other shirtless in a long, weird embraces. They all kiss she on the lips. All of them. Very, yeah. It's, it's creep-tastic. It's wonderful. But one thing I noticed, they really like their underwater camera. Because they've had a couple of really interesting, like, scenes underwater, like fights underwater. Mm-hmm. They obviously invested in an underwater camera that they are very proud of. Not to mention that skydiving scene. I was trying to Google online if they were – those yeah. actors were actually doing it because it looked so real. I'm like, how do they do yeah. that? Yeah, that's a good point. That was a really good one. Yeah. Okay, so – Going from a show that you love to a show that you thought you were going to love mm. that you didn't, and that is Showtime's big old dud of a rock and roll show, Roadies. Yeah, it's I'm, it makes me more sad. <laughs> I'm just I wanted it to be so good. It had all the <laughs> elements, and uh, uh, it was just really boring. It's kind of like if I said to my mom, "Mom." write a script about what you think goes on backstage at, at, on rock and roll tours. It was just so vanilla and so <laughs> trying hard to be edgy. And it was just so cartoonish and cliche and 
like literally running through the rain and deciding, oh my God, this is my family. I'm like, oh dear Lord, Cameron, what are you thinking? So I'm a big Cameron Crowe fan because Almost Famous is one of my favorite movies and, you know, all the way back to the his early stuff. But I just don't know what this last movie, Aloha, which was embarrassing and this. Yeah. I'm hoping he's just in a bad slump and this isn't the end. But Rhodey's is not watchable. Yeah, and it had an unbelievable cast mm-hmm. with Carly Carly Gugino and David Duchovny and and I mean basically every, Luke Wilson. Yeah, it had a great cast, and it was funny. I hadn't watched the the pilot, and you told me not to bother. It's true, and you know that I I, yeah. I mean, there's a difference between me saying I don't know if you would like this, and please, please, just don't just don't waste your time. Yeah, well, I appreciate too many that. other good really things do. out there. There really is, even in the summer. Mm-hmm. So here's here's a show that, Jen, I, I can't imagine that you are watching. But one that I've – there's been four episodes. I've only watched the first two. But I, I, I really enjoy it. It's funny. It's kind of frivolous. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And that is the new show from the creators and executive producers of CBS's The Good Wife. And that is their show, also on CBS, called Brain Dead. It is, it is very much – a, I don't know. It is it is very much lampooning our political system because what this show is is basically about <laughs> alien ants who come and infect the brains of political operatives in Washington D.C. to get them to be ultra partisan, and it's goofy. It it relishes its weirdness and its its bizarre humor, and it's got you know. Much like Rhodey's, a great cast with Tony Shalhoub, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Aaron Tveit. Um, uh, it's also got Nikki M. James, and it's got uh, Beth Malone from Fun Home and Megan Hilty as these very dichotomous cable news hosts. I bet you can guess <laughs> if you know who those people are, which networks they represent. Um, but it's just, it's just so weird and so goofy and really funny, and it enjoys. It's weirdness, and and I appreciate that. So it's a fun show to to watch. I'm like I said, I'm only two episodes into the four. It's going to move from Monday nights to Sunday nights while the conventions are on, so it will keep playing to kind of parody the political system that we're seeing unfold at the conventions. But if you haven't checked it out, it it is actually a a pretty fun show. I haven't even heard of it, but you know I stay clear of what? CBS usually, but. I will definitely check it out. I mean, it sounds good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's definitely the first episode is very much kind of like what we talked about with the night of getting the exposition out, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, but it, it does do a good job. Oh, I also I didn't mention um, uh, Danny Pino, who uh, or Pino, I don't know how to say his name. He played um, Detective Nick Amaro on Law and Order SVU, and he also played. Um, uh, 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 what was his character's name? I can't think of his name. On Scandal, he was the brother of oh Alex Vargas on Scandal, the brother mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. candidate that Cyrus. So he's really good. He's he's on it as well. So it's a it's a fun show, and it's you know I never watched The Good Wife, but so many critics said like despite the fact that it's on CBS, it's one of the best shows on TV, and if it's from the same people, you know it it can't be all bad. All right, I'll check it out. Okay, so one show that I have not checked out, and I don't think you have either, have. Jen. It, oh, you have. have? It just got released yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a new Netflix show that basically looks at 
the horror movie kind of trend of the 80s. And correct me if I'm wrong, and it stars one of the biggest stars of the 80s, Winona Ryder. And it just, like we said, we're recording on Saturday. It was just released on Friday. So I'm impressed that, you, that you've that you watched some of it. So tell me what you think of Stranger Things. I watched the first two episodes this morning, and I really enjoy it. They really are nailing 1983. <laughs> uh, the costumes, the set, like just the way people look. It's just really well done tonally. The, the main characters are a group of boys. And, you know, I love anything with boys. See, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Jesus. But, like, any of, anything of that, like, Super 8 and, and Kings of Summer, anything like that. I just love young bo- Nope. I <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the kids are really good. And um, they're the main focus of this of this show. These three boys and a girl, and um, it's it's it is. It's just basically looking into supernatural events that are happening, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. A lot of quirky characters, a lot of um, overacting. Sorry, not a Winona Ryder fan. Um, no, me neither. And she's honestly, in my opinion, the weakest link. <laughs> it is kind of like you were saying before. It's just a cast of no names. And they're great. Like, I love that. Mm. And uh, these young kids are really, really good. And I think that's what's going to drive it. I've, I've only seen two. It could tank after episode three. I'm only speaking on the first two episodes. It really set up some <laughs> interesting. There's some through lines. And then there's some, like, individual things, you know, like standalone plots. So uh, I'm interested to see how it, you know, pans out. Are you going to watch it? I think so. Yeah, I'm going to add it to the list. Yeah, and like I said, I'm, I've never been a Winona Ryder fan. I don't know. I don't get that get her at all. Beetlejuice was fine, but Oscar nominated, really. So, and of course, she's playing a mother who's looking for her son. So there's lots of chances for chewing the scenery. And boy, does she have an appetite! <laughs> all right, fair enough. All right, Stranger Things on Netflix. It's gotten good reviews so far. I know. Mm-hmm. All right, per the usual, we are going to end this episode of Something Like It Pop with a little show and tell where we auditorially show you something and tell you why it fascinates us. Jen, I don't know if you have anything. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, you go first while I find something. Okay. At one point, you told me you had a list really long that you could dive into at any point. Yeah, I, I don't know where I, I put said list. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, this is something that I've talked about a number of times uh, kind of in the news sections of our Today on Broadway uh, podcast over on the Broadway Radio Network. And that has to do with the amazing Jaime Camille taking to the Broadway stage as the great <laughs> silver-tongued lawyer Billy Flynn in the Broadway production of Chicago. Jaime Camille is also known as Rogelio de la Vega on the great Jane the Virgin show, which is one of my two or three favorite shows on TV right now. He is playing Billy Flynn on Broadway. And recently he took to the Broadway and Bryant Park stage to perform a couple of numbers with some of his castmates. And of course, because we're Broadway world, we have some video. So it has him doing um, All I Care About Is Love. And then it has some other songs with the woman playing uh, Roxy. And then it also has him and her doing both reached for the gun. He is by no means a great singer, but he's not a terrible singer. And he, he is such a showman on Jane the Virgin. And you can see that on stage as Billy Flynn. So we have Jaime Camille 
uh, with the rest of the cast. Uh, we have Jaime Camille with the rest of the Broadway cast of Chicago at a recent Broadway in Bryant Park. I don't care about expensive things, cashmere coats, diamond rings, don't mean a thing. All I care about is love, that's what I'm here for. I don't care if we're wearing silk cravats, ruby studs, satin spats, don't mean a thing. All I care about is love. Give me two eyes of blue, softly saying, let me see her standing there and honest Mr. I'm a millionaire. So Jen, I know you love, love, love Rogelio. I do. So, (laughs) so do do you think you could, uh, you would, you would fork over some money to see him on Broadway if you lived a little closer? I think I would. And I, I, and I think back to my theater teacher in college who said there's a difference between singers who act and actors who sing. And I think he is such a showman that I think you could forgive some of that. Uh, Whereas the other way around where sometimes I think where you give a singer an acting part, they sing the songs beautifully. And then it's just like, Oh my God, when are we getting to the next song? So it's almost more forgiving when it's an actor who can kind of sing. Yeah. And he's good, but he's not like, we think of James Naughton, who did the, this part originally in the revival, or going back to Jerry Orbach. Um, he's much more Jerry Orbach, because I don't think Jerry Orbach, despite the fact that he was a quintessential song and dance man, was a great singer, but he was such a great actor that he made the singing parts that much more enjoyable. So, okay, Jen, uh, what do you have for your show and tell? Well, I don't like to be predictable, but uh, right. I'm going to talk about Hamilton. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> So, as you know, big July 9th, big exit, Leslie Odom Jr., Philip Sue, Lin-Manuel Miranda took the stage for the final time, as well as Ari and another chorus member. I can't remember his name. So, it was a big to-do. You know, tickets were going for $10,000. It was insane. So, at the end, Lin takes a bow. They play the West Wing Overture. It was beautiful. But what I want to talk about is last night, today we're recording on Saturday, last night was David Diggs' final show. And he, as I told you many times, is one of my favorites on the stage. And he started this tradition back, backstage. Once they won the Grammy Award, he kept his personal Grammy in his dressing room. And anyone who came to visit him, he would have them do a shot out the Grammy. So mm-hmm. this became a tradition. Everyone who came to see it, they did shots out the Grammy. They would pour some Patron in it, and they would drink it. So much to the fact that Patron shipped him a case of Patron to keep him stocked for all his guests. Well, last night was his last show, and they all went out afterwards. And on his Snapchat, he had over 40 people doing shots out the Grammy at this local bar with vodka provided by Belvedere. And it was just great. Um, so I'm gonna really going to miss David Diggs. And what I want to share is the new Hamilton that they affectionately refer to as Hovelton, Javier Munoz. He shared a dressing room with David for um, the entire run, and they became really good friends and very, very close, obviously. He put up a video yesterday on Twitter of a personal goodbye to David, and, you know, I hope that you're not too soulless to get a little choked up at this message. (laughs) For your last day, David, I just want to make a little video to say thank you. Thank you for making this the safest space in the building through my treatment post-treatment 
and through every step we took together in the show. And I couldn't have asked for a better roommate. Uh, every second of it has been awesome. You're brilliant, and I can't wait to see what's next for you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so ecstatic for all of your success. And I cannot wait for what comes next. All my love. So it's just very, very heartwarming. And, you know, Broadway's going to miss David as well as all those other people I mentioned, those no names. You're going to be be okay? I'm going to be okay. I saw the original cast, but I'm actually really excited to see it with other actors to see how it translates. Yeah, uh, the thing that I'm super excited about for Hamilton is the Chicago cast, mm-hmm. because when they announced that Karen Olivo was playing uh, Angelica in Chicago, it made me almost want to say, I don't want to see it on Broadway, I want to see it in Chicago, because I love Karen Olivo. Uh, if you watch, if you ever get a chance to watch the In the Heights PBS documentary, she was one of the original stars of In the Heights. After she did the the off-Broadway musical Murder Ballad, she kind of semi-retired from acting in 2013 because it really took a toll on her. But watching her in that In the Heights documentary, she is so full of joy and excitement and love. You can't not fall in love with her. So I'm so excited that she's coming back to a legit role because she does a lot of like concerts like she's doing uh, West Side Story at the Hollywood Bowl right now. But, you know, she... She's really diving back into a role, and because she's, you know, BFFs with Lynn, and I'm really excited about that. And then Alexander Gemignani is playing King George, not somebody I would have expected to play King George, but he really is a quintessential guy that really fits with what Lynn believes in in terms of the connection to the Broadway of the past. His father is Paul Gimignani, who is the incredible conductor and music director who has worked on almost every one of Stephen Sondheim's shows. So very cool for them. And Miguel Cervantes is playing is playing Alexander Hamilton. No relation, obviously, at all. But every time I hear his name, I think of Man of La Mancha because that was by Miguel de Cervantes. So that makes me happy, too. So maybe I'll be heading up to Chicago to see that at some point. And I would also like to say that I met the Hamilton alternate, Joseph Morales, because he was in a production out here in L.A. of Tommy, where he played Tommy. And I met him afterwards. Oh, wow. And he's awesome. So I'm very excited for Chicago as well. Okay, Jen, why don't you get us out of here? That's Some Like It Pop for now. I'm Eponine Q on Twitter, and Matt is at Matt. You can find us both on Broadway World writing about all of our current obsessions. And until next time, always remember, this gym is perfect. If it had Hemsworth Brothers spitting at me instead of showers, it would be too good to be true. <laughs> what the hell is that from? Difficult people. Ah, screw you. <laughs> Okay, do you want to, do you want to Sorry, elaborate? I, I thought at you all? disappeared. <laughs> I did, I hit mute because oh, I okay. was typing. Sorry, so. go ahead. All right. It's a good show. I'm sure it's not. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World Some Like a Pop Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Some Like a Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast, and go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and rate and review us. 
please, and thank you. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the shows, movies, and topics that we should discuss every week. And if you need more of me and your ear holes, check out Today on Broadway from Broadway Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or BroadwayRadio.com. We will be back soon with special mini-episodes about last week's Emmy nominations and our quick thoughts on some movies that have come out this summer that we have either seen or are planning on seeing. And then, of course, we will follow it up with our next list of Palooza, where Jen and I count down our favorite summer movies of all time. So until then, we'll see you around the Broadway world. <laughs>